This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 18th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. For people escaping authoritarian rule, the United States has often served as an oasis. The Biden administration recently reinvigorated the regularly used program called Parole Sponsorship to help many of those people. The effort, according to Cato's David Beer, has been revolutionary for those affected. We spoke about his new paper on the subject last week. Before we get into the meat of this, can you describe how immigration to the United States has changed over the last several years? The biggest change that we've seen on immigration in the last several years is that the people coming to the U.S.-Mexico border have shifted from being over 95% Mexican nationals to being from a variety of of other countries. Uh, Really started under the Obama administration, we saw an increase in Central American migration. They ended up being the majority of the people arrested during his second term in office were for people specifically from the Northern Triangle countries of Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Those four countries, Mexico included, really accounted for, up until that point, about 99% of all illegal immigration uh, to that point in history. Under the Trump administration, we started to see big increases from other countries. And then under the Biden administration, we've seen a dramatic increase in migration from outside of even the Americas, uh, but a huge increase from South America, mainly Venezuela, but also Brazil, uh, Colombia, Peru, um, large numbers of people traveling from those countries, as well as Cuba and Haiti uh, arriving at the border illegally for the first time. Most people don't like illegal immigration. There are some people who also don't like much legal immigration, but for people who would rather see immigration done legally, uh, even on a, on a relatively temporary basis, the U.S. government has launched some initiatives that uh, you say have have transformed migration to the US. So can you describe in this in this context what is parole? What is the parole system? Right. So in the immigration context, parole is simply a executive authority discretion uh, granted to the administrative agencies specifically the Department of Homeland Security, to waive the normal barriers to legal entry. And they can really do this for a variety of reasons. You know, historically, it's it's been used whenever they needed to bring someone who was a witness to a crime abroad or, um, you know, it, for humanitarian reasons. It might be uh, you know, someone's family member has just died in the United States and they need to bring a family member to deal with the the fallout from that uh, rather quickly. So those are the contexts in which it's typically been used. And that's really a matter of executive discretion. They've just narrowly defined what are the grounds by which we're going to do this uh, activity. And there's been some big exceptions to that normal practice, however. We saw during uh, the aftermath of the Vietnam War, parole was used to bring hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese, Cambodians, 
to the United States. Um, we've seen it be used for Soviet Jews um, in the 1980s, uh, into the 1990s. So we've had these exceptions. Cuba is probably the biggest exception, the longest standing one. Cubans had, until the end of the Obama administration, had the ability to be paroled into the United States. Anytime they got one foot uh, on U.S. soil, they were paroled in. And then as a function of the Cuban Adjustment Act, they could get a green card uh, through that process. But we've had these different exceptions for different countries at different times. This time, uh, the Biden administration has really gone much further and uh, in expanding this type of uh, executive authority and discretion to allow people from, uh, first it started with Ukraine, but now Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, if they have a sponsor in the United States who's willing to accept some financial responsibility for them, when they come to the United States. Now, uh, you rattled off a list of countries from which this uh, this parole has been uh, provided. And these are all countries, particularly in those moments in time, where these were potentially very dangerous right. places to live for the most part. Yeah. Uh, you li- Cambodia uh, in the 70s, China in the 60s, Cuba, a- a- an ongoing uh, program. So what what inspired or what is the reasoning for Joe Biden to to undertake this um, when, you know, otherwise on the immigration front, the the uh, policy changes that he's undertaken have been uh, right. You know, so for the most part under the radar in front of his own policy staff and just announced we're going to get 100,000 Ukrainians to be able to come to the United States. And there was no way that this was going to happen under the the other immigration programs. There weren't enough Ukrainians who could qualify under the refugee program or other green card categories. So parole was really the only option. And when I made this announcement, I kind of uh, I wrote about it and said, you know, there's no way that they're going to do this without using parole authority. And they can't do what they did in the past, which was have a paper-based program that, you know, you have to mail in your application. This is normally how it works in America's immigration system in the 21st century. And, you know, go through the normal, you know, procedures that they that they do. I said, it's got to be electronic. It's got to have the electronic vetting uh, that they use to, to screen people um, who are entering at, uh, at airports. That process is very streamlined. It's efficient. Um, we can't, you know, investigate every single thing that they're saying. If they're Ukrainian, let them in. Uh, if they're not, um, you know, then that'll be the main divider uh, on whether they get in access to the program. And... It worked. Uh, they they adopted all those recommendations, and the the program has been highly efficient. Um, we went from a situation, you know, before they created this program, where you had tens of thousands of Ukrainians trying to get out, flying to Mexico, and they were coming to the U.S. Mexico border in order to be able to come into the United States, which was 
you know, uh, kind of embarrassing for the administration, frankly, like every other country in Europe had opened their doors to Ukrainians. We were trying to show our support for the Ukrainian cause, but we weren't willing to take any of their people legally through our normal uh, procedures. So they created this program. It was highly successful. Uh, so far, over over 130,000 uh, Ukrainians have come to the United States through this program. And in as time went on, it became apparent that there was really no other option for dealing with the people who are coming to the U.S.-Mexico border, that they would have to create one of these programs to at least take some of the pressure that Border Patrol was dealing with in the number of people who were crossing illegally. And so their first effort to then apply this, this lesson that they had they'd taken from the Ukraine program was to the population from Venezuela who were coming up through Panama and, uh, you know, basically walking all the way through Mexico to the U.S.-Mexico border. They tried it. It was fairly successful. And so then they expanded on that to allow Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans also be able to get a sponsor, go through this highly expedited electronic uh, vetting process, and come into the United States if they had that financial tie, financial sponsor here in the U.S. So what has been the, I mean, it seems sort of bonkers that, uh, and you laid it out, it seems bonkers that the United States nominally supportive of uh, the Ukrainian plight right now would effectively compel Ukrainians to fly to Mexico and try to cross the border there when they could just easily get on a plane and be documented the entire way through. Um, so how has this effectively changed the process of moving people you know, admittedly with often dire needs more directly into the U.S. with sponsorship? Well, it's been an absolutely incredible transformation for the populations that have been affected by it. Uh, you know, the Ukrainians, uh, the number who were coming to the border went down over 99%. Uh, you know, so now basically everyone gets a sponsor in order to come. They have someone who can put them up for a few days or a few months um, while they get their their feet under them. They often have family ties who can help them. Our colleague Ilya Soman uh, participated in the program. I've acted as a sponsor for Ukrainian uh, family as well. And it is uh, highly efficient, highly effective, and uh ultimately provides this legal pathway that that avoids the chaos at the border the expanse the expansion to cuba nicaragua haiti and venezuela has also shown dramatic uh, results um, the ma majority of these people now from these countries uh, are entering the country legally in a safe manner we've had Cumulatively, for all five countries, over 316,000 uh, uh, legal entries uh, provided through this. That's taken a huge burden off the Border Patrol. And we've actually seen the number of people crossing illegally go down by more than the number of legal entries authorized. And the reason for that is because there's a whole host of people waiting to use the legal path. 
they would much rather go through the trouble of going through this bureaucratic process as as fast as it's been to this point. It's still, you know, a, a bureaucratic process, and we've had the people waiting uh, for the opportunity to go through it, and uh, it, it has ultimately transformed what it looks like to migrate from these countries. What does sponsorship look like? How difficult is that? Is it expensive? Uh, can you walk us through what that might look like for somebody who is interested? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really amazing how much flexibility the administration has allowed sponsors and the beneficiary of the sponsorship to work out their own arrangements. Um, ultimately, you have to say in the application, what what are the people going to do when they get here? And uh, how are their needs going to be provided? And, you know, in, in my case, really, they had uh, a family connection to the U.S. Um, you know, they had a, a, their son, who was an adult and working in, in the U.S., in parole status, who had a, another, another person sponsor him, uh, really could have been the sponsor had uh, the situation not been that there were so many uh, kids in their family, and so it, it couldn't quite work within the parameters. The main requirement is that the sponsor be able to have a, an income sufficient to uh, keep the family above the poverty line if necessary. But the actual way that works out in practice is it could be anything from, you know, putting them up for a month in your own home to uh, they already have a place to live and they just need uh, the sponsorship as a, as a legal mechanism to come in. I know Ilya Soman co-signed a lease for uh, uh, the family that he sponsored. So there are a lot of different ways that this plays out. And it's just a matter of mutual consent between parties to decide, okay, you know, as long as they're not going to be living on the street, the government's going to be okay with it. You just need to say, this is what's going to happen. Make sure that their their uh, their needs are going to be taken care of. And it's worked out great. It, it, we, ha- we don't see all the images that you see when Border Patrol just releases a bunch of people from their custody onto the street in El Paso in the middle of the night and they're sleeping on you know sidewalks we don't see those images for these populations now because they have this legal way uh, to line up their travel to figure out what they're going to do and then when they get here they have the authorization to work so they can support themselves and so the family that i sponsored both of the parents are now working and uh contributing uh to this country so it it is a it's a path that's available. It's it's uh, something that I think everyone should look into because it is something that that you can do. There is someone out there who you could help. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a twenty thousand dollar commitment. Uh, that could be something that that you want to do, but it doesn't have to be um, that level of commitment. How should this program be expanded? I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of people who are in dire circumstances in various countries around the world who would love a pathway to the United States. Yeah, right. So, you know, the biggest constraint uh, really on the program is, well, one, you have to apply. There has to be someone who's looking at the application and the the government, um, you know, in, in one of the ways they were trying to streamline the process, I understand it in a certain respect. 
but they waived the normal fees uh, to apply for the program. So, so all of these applications, unfortunately, from my view, are not being funded by the applicants themselves. And uh, you might think, well, these people are, you know, um, you know, in dire straits. You know, how could you make them pay for a fee? Uh, of course, you know, they have sponsors as well who who could help them uh, with the fees. The fees are a few hundred dollars, but when it adds up to, you know, three hundred, you know, now it's now it's almost three hundred fifty thousand. Uh, by this point, uh, applications that have gone through it without having any of this money come in, the government is not able to fund at scale because they don't have a funding stream uh, from Congress. Congress doesn't fund the adjudication agencies. They only fund the enforcement agencies. And so uh, they don't get any money to do this work. And so one of the the reasons uh, why I've been recommending to the administration is that they uh, start charging the normal fees to people so they can really get this to scale, look at other populations that need it. And right now, unfortunately, there's a 1.7 million person backlog for this program because of the fact that uh, there's a cap on the number of approvals that can be given to Cubans Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans. The Ukrainian program has no cap, but those populations are severely backlogged because of the fact that um, there's this cap. And the reason there's a cap is because there's no funding for the program. So they don't have the resources to adjudicate more than they are. So it all interrelates, but really we're at the point where it's been so successful so far but going forward, it's not going to be nearly as successful if you have a five, six-year wait before you get an approval. That's not going to work for many people who are in desperate situations. They're trying to get away from tyrannical governments, uh, you know, facing persecution in some of these places. That's not a, a viable option for them. So we need to make sure that cap is, is increased and there's a funding source available if it's Congress, I, I you know I would rather it be the the applicants, but there has to be some way to to make sure that the agency has the funds needed to adjudicate the applications promptly. David Beer's new paper is entitled "Parole Sponsorship is a Revolution in Immigration Policy." It's available today. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please, and thank you for listening.